inclusive leaders aren't born, they're created over time. And true inclusive leaders have a routine. If you take from Aristotle that excellence is not a goal, but rather a habit, you can apply that diversity and inclusion. The ERG program for us is a platform to develop the next generation of leaders. If I can get them into the habit of starting to think this way now, and then they just take those habits and as they elevate through the organization, they, they take those habits with them, then we're essentially creating the new generation of inclusive leaders from the ground up. I'm, I'm rolling the dice and I mean, I would state everything on the fact that if you, if you get individuals early to start basically practicing these inclusive habits, they will take it with them and they will eventually become inclusive executives. That's Paul Martin, Senior Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at Sony Pictures Entertainment. Paul is talking about why he feels that despite the fact that it's not easy, it's important to have employee network leaders who reach out and fully engage colleagues that are not on their campus, and even colleagues that live and work in other countries. Paul is my guest for this first half of this episode of ERG Power Talk. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining me today. So, Paul, I know you for a number of years now, but for our listeners who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company's footprint. Okay, so... Um Again, my particular role is I'm the chief diversity officer for Sony Pictures Entertainment. Um, we are essentially the entertainment arm for the larger Sony company, which many people kind of associate with electronics, PlayStation, medical devices. Um, Sony Pictures Entertainment covers theatrical movies, television shows, um, a lot of home entertainment distribution but there are, are a lot of properties, whether they be movie or TV shows that people don't necessarily recognize as Sony Pictures Entertainment because they may be under different labels. Like for example, TriStar, Screen Gems, Columbia Pictures, Stage Six, those are all kind of examples of labels under the Sony Pictures Entertainment umbrella. So we are a global entertainment company um, with, uh, I believe studios in over 30 different countries or regions. And my role as a chief diversity officer is really, um, I have a global scope. So my job is really to kind of find opportunities as to how do we as an organization, you know, best reflect internally, basically the images, cultural, um, you know, cultural nuances, as well as, you know, really, really kind of um, representing diversity in its truest form in a way that best allows us, you know, to entertain the audiences that, 
you know, we are trying to serve. Got it. So you've mentioned that you're in 30 different countries. How many employees do you have globally? So that tends to be a loaded question, but let's just talk about the, um, I think, our standing employee population outside of production. So if you think about production, anytime we um, are shooting a television show or a movie, there are a number of individuals that will be coming in specifically for the production sets. But notwithstanding those, our employee population probably fluctuates between eight to 10,000 globally. Eight to 10,000, okay. And how big can that grow depending on what your activity is? Let's say you've got a lot of activity going on in your studios. Yes, I mean, probably in its peak, if we were, if all the labels were currently shooting, you know, uh, movies and all of our productions were, you know, were currently, you know, shooting episodic television shows. I mean, you could probably add probably another 5,000 on top. Got it. When you think about it spread around the world, you probably have small pockets, big pockets, and so forth in different places, right? Yes. So when we say offices, we're, I'm saying it in its literal form. There, there are some offices that maybe have 10 to 15, and then you know we have other offices globally that may have several hundred. Do you have any remote workers? Among those? So by remote workers. Telecommuters, people who work out of their home or out of some other location. Sure. I mean, a lot of that, um, a lot of our, what what I guess would most commonly be defined as sales folks. So we have in our particular industry, those who um, really are liaisons to the exhibitors or movie chain owners. Those are essentially our customers as well as on the television side. We have um, sales folks who, you know, definitely liaison with the various, you know, broadcasting companies, the various independent stations across the United States, actually across the globe. So they tend to be probably our best definition of remote because there's no need for them to actually kind of sit in an office there. Their job is really on a, you know, individual face-to-face, person-to-person type of relationship. We also have probably, I would say, a fairly large number of individuals who, you know, really kind of provide support for our information technology group. So there, there's a large percentage of those kind of remote workers who will handle a lot of um, our technology needs from the basics from like desktop to mobile technology support to kind of some more um, sophisticated things as it pertains to some of the newer technology that, you know, we're actually introducing into into the um, entertainment community. Got it. So let's talk about your employee networks. How are they structured within your company? I mean, considering that you mentioned you have these pockets of like 10 people here, and then you may have a bigger campus somewhere else. How do you structure your employee networks in order to sort of umbrella and blanket a population that's distributed that way? It, it's a great, that's a great question, Joe. And so we, we decided to take an approach a long time ago. So when we first started our employee resource group program for our employee networks over, oh, wow, I guess it's been eight years now eight to nine years, we made a conscious decision that we wanted it, we wanted built from the ground up. So we wanted, we wanted it led by the employees. We wanted them to kind of help us dictate, you know, how, what was important, what the priorities were. So for us, how our groups are structured, there's an annual election that happens for every group across the globe where their leadership board is either reelected 
or new uh, leadership members are you know elected to the board what we tend to do is that that leadership group their responsibility is to kind of carry out initiatives we provide a general framework so we'll provide as large of a box as possible so for us our employee um, resource groups their their activities have to kind of be grounded or anchored in one of three areas it has to um, either kind of align to a business need or objective it has or it has to align to some kind of professional development or learning or community outreach so obviously initiatives can take one or more but they have to be grounded in at least one but everything else outside of kind of the election protocols and we have a whole governance structure in terms of how initiatives are approved um, things of that nature but the leadership board once elected they kind of drive the agenda within that framework we try to provide as much training as we can to our leadership for the leadership boards every year we kind of give them just the basics on how to develop a strategy how to build a solid team how to lead people but we want to make sure that the employees feel like this is something that belongs to them that they're helping to build and that you know it's really kind of a platform that their individual voices can be heard in a way that they feel that senior leadership kind of listens to and respects got it so you kind of answered my next question which was how do you maintain uniformity of employee networks and how do you provide some flexibility and you pretty much do it by having that structure mm -hmm. and providing certain types of pillars that they have to attach to but they have some flexibility in terms of which one or more of those pillars they will right. attach to how they execute who's right. going to be the leader in the group and all that other stuff which is great so how do you make sure that your employees that are let's say in a location where there are only 10 people or mm -hmm. those that are out there in the field who maybe don't even go to an office on a regular basis, along with those that may be in a larger campus, actually get to participate in your ERG events and activities? It's a great question. And I'm not sure if we have, if we figured out the ideal answer, but, you know, simply put, we try to leverage technology a lot in terms of communicating what um, what the various groups are doing in, in various regions. So um, we utilize Microsoft Teams out here where every group, once an initiative or once an event has taken place, they're required within 72 hours to do a write-up with either pictures or video of the event posted on, um, on our Microsoft Teams and SharePoint sites, which all eBridge leaders, our ERG leaders, as well as their members have access to. And so what we try to do is make sure that with every group, there are opportunities to at least say, hey, I wasn't able to attend the event, but let me try to experience it in some small way, what kind of took place. And that's another thing that I didn't mention um, in the previous question. What we try to challenge our leaders to do all the time is when you're doing an event, try to think about how can you create something that can live beyond the moment. So in other words, beyond the time and place of that particular event. Make sure there's some kind of ripple effect that others who weren't able for whatever reason to attend that particular event could experience either something or at least experience, you know, what was that event like or whatever learnings that took place. So we leverage a lot on kind of video technology, but we really challenge our leadership, you know, let's not just have a happy hour where if you weren't there, you missed the whole thing. If there's going to be some kind of social aspect, great, 
but what is it that you want the participants to take away and what is it that you're going to kind of record for others who weren't able to attend. So for those remote employees, it's hard sometimes for them to attend in person in real time those particular events, but we have gotten a lot of feedback around, oh, I saw that we had this particular speaker come in. I had a chance to kind of watch it on my own time. This is really great. I definitely want to come to the next one. Can you please? But And we've even gotten suggestions. Can we please do a lunch hour versus after work? Mm. And so we get this feedback. And what we try to do is we use that feedback to try to say, okay, next speaker opportunity. Let's make it kind of a lunchtime event or a morning event sometimes to allow our folks from overseas in different time zones to participate in real time. And what we also like to do during those speaker series is we may even have um, people from remote locations participate by sending in questions live via our IM chats on Microsoft Teams so we can kind of either record or we actually feed the questions directly to the speakers. So they can kind of address um, everyone, not just those who happen to be in the room. So we we do those things. And obviously, there's a lot more we can do. But, you know, the question you pose is a great one. And it's something that it's constantly evolving. We're still learning on how can we be even more um, efficient and better at this. Um, but what we've learned so far in the last couple of years that we've been doing this, is the collaboration opportunities across different networks have been incredible. So take our LGBTQ community. They had no idea that, you know, in the UK, it's celebrated in February at the time, you know, that we usually celebrate Black History Month. We This past year, our Black Employee Network Group, you know, partnered with our UK LGBTQ group to do something collaborative, just about information exchange, did you know? And so people take this information to try to find opportunities to kind of build those bridges, create those links, because I think for me, the more that these different groups realize, you know, what they have in common, the more that they can make these connections across their various entities, I think the stronger our program becomes. And I think the better of an employer we become um, as a studio. So that's my long answer to, to your question. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm just noting very quickly. So there's a couple of things that you brought up that I just want to put a fine point on. One is that you record the meetings or you make the meetings recordable mm-hmm. and you make them available so that people that are not only in different locations, but even in different time zones can actually participate in terms of at least knowing what information was exchanged, what mm-hmm. the speaker said and so forth. The other is when you mentioned about having a a speaker in a meeting and then you have people that aren't physically in that room, Mm -hmm. but they're listening in or I don't know if they they have video and they can also see, but they're able to participate by submitting questions Mm -hmm. or ideas. And I guess you've got somebody who monitors those and then presents them to the speaker. Could you talk a little more about that? Sure. And again, it's not, I don't want, I don't want to give the impression that this is this refined system. So we're very grateful for the embedded technology in, in Microsoft Teams because there's various like chat functions, but we do ask people to, um, I am our, our coordinator on our team. It's, it's her job really to take all the questions. She'll start to prioritize them. What she'll try to do in real time as the questions are coming in is bucket them into themes because we have a lot of questions that tend to overlap. But what we do make, um, what we do try and do is 
we try to acknowledge for everyone who submits a question, hey, thanks for submitting this question. We've got it. This is similar to some other ones, so we may rephrase it, and we're going we're gonna to present this to the speaker you know, before the end of the session. So what we're trying to do, it, it's not a perfect system, but we're, what we're trying to, to tell our remote employees, those who aren't physically there, you know, we hear you, you're still a part of this, and we want to make sure that you feel connected in some way. Yeah, that's great. So you started going into also the collaboration and you started going a little bit into not only collaboration between networks that are in similar areas and so forth, but global collaboration. And yeah. uh, that, that certainly is a nice step forward. Talk a little more about that. Like, what are some of the things that you've done in that area? You mentioned about your African-American network and your LGBT network overseas in the UK and how they partnered. What are some of the partnerships that have come out of those global collaborations that you've had? There have been a lot. For example, um, just most recently, our veterans group collaborated with our Latinx group as well as our African-American group to really kind of talk about, you know, a lot we found that there's research in terms of a lot of veterans really kind of fall within those particular demographics. And when they go back to their communities after serving, a lot of times they don't feel well equipped to kind of, you know, assimilate into the corporate environment. So the three groups got together and presented a proposal to me in terms of Let's have something specific for our veterans, um, for veterans within these particular demographics that kind of at least just tell them, here are the opportunities at Sony Pictures. You don't just have to be a director or an actor or a writer. Like There are some jobs that are definitely, um, you have the skills that are transferable. Here's what you need to know. And work with our recruiting teams to kind of... Um, you know, just provide, we did like quick five minute sessions to provide each of them. Hey, give us a pitch. Tell us about yourself. Here are some things you should work on and quick look at your resume. Here are some things that you may want to highlight. And so really with a focus on trying to not only kind of increase our footprint in this particular, within this particular intersectional demographic, but rather also, you know, kind of create a pipeline of emerging talent for some of our hard to fill jobs. So we thought that, you know, what could benefit us as an employer outside of just kind of goodwill and community outreach. And it was a nice win-win and a great collaboration between three different groups that, you know, I think provided a huge lift for all three of them because as more and more people began to find out about that initiative, they wanted to, they wanted to be part of. So I think all three groups reported an increase in membership because there's a lot of the Sony Pictures employees who weren't necessarily veterans, but had relatives or new people who had served mm -hmm. and said, you know, this was wonderful. Can I invite this person? And we, we allow people to invite anyone who they knew, you know, to come to these sessions until we reached max capacity at the building that we were in. But the, that's kind of the most recent example I can give in terms of a collaboration that I thought was really, really done well. And it was very organic amongst the three groups. Yeah, it sounds great. Besides the difference in time, Mm -hmm. Besides the difference in location, what do you think is 
the biggest challenge that prevents people from effectively connecting that way, you know, connecting across different regions and groups and, and collaborating at that level where you have a lot of people that are either working remotely or in a small site versus a larger site. What What is it that prevents them, besides those other two things I mentioned before, from being able to kind of reach across and actually work together effectively? It, it's a great question. And the I'm going to use a term that probably is oversaturated in, in our space right now, but I think, you know, unconscious bias plays a lot into it in terms of, you know, forget the isms. We're not really talking about racism, sexism, or any kind of gender, but what we're talking about is, you know, the natural bias, us as individuals, that what I see is my comfort level versus what I don't see. So in other words, as we plan things, it's very easy to kind of plan something based on the environment that's around you that you can physically look at, not taking, unintentionally not taking into account that there is a, that there is another group out there. There are people that don't necessarily fit within the confines that we're originally envisioning. And so it's kind of teaching our leaders, take a step back and let's say, how does this translate over, see, so how does someone out of our New York office or our Miami office participate? So there, and now sometimes choices have to be made because sometimes it just can't, we can't make that connection that can be meaningful in real time. So decisions also have to be made, like, is this a replication opportunity? All right, we're going to do it here, but then we're going to rep replicate it real time in our EMEA region or in our Latin American region or in our Asia Pac region because we also want to be conscious of the fact that, you know, an, an Americanized type initiative may not have the same impact overseas. So we have to also allow for the flexibility for individuals or different different offices to customize it to best kind of align, you know, within their culture, any nuances that we're not taking into consideration or may not be relevant here. So many instances, um, what my, the most important thing I want our leaders to do is let's go through the process though of thinking everything through. Like one, let's start, our default should be, how can we make this a global initiative with multiple time zones, multiple regions, multiple offices participating at the same time? If we've gone through everything and it's a meaningful initiative and we can't, okay, let's go to you know, the next level down how can we, is this replicable? So is this something that we should be trying to replicate real time or should we say, hey, we're going to start it here and in this particular month, we're going to launch in the UK and in this particular month, we'll do it again in Latin America. So, because not every region has the same types of groups, but they could have the same, like basically the impact, potential impact could have the same kind of value for those regions with just a few tweaks and nuances. So, that's my answer saying is like, it really depends. Yeah, I could see that. It makes sense of the different challenges that you talked about. The bias being the one, that one is overcome to some degree by just, yeah. as you said, challenging people to think more broadly, to think more globally, and nudging in a direction that may not be the direction they naturally go into when they think about putting something together. But the second one that you mentioned was this difference that there might be in how different things translate, whereas yeah. in one culture, this event may produce a certain feeling, and, a, and, and it may be positive, and it may work really well. In another culture, it may 
not fly as well. And there you might want to do, you know, you might want to do something slightly different because your goal is not so much to present the same information, but to achieve the same outcome, right? So, right. so you may have to do something different to achieve that outcome in a different setting. So that, yeah. that, that makes perfect sense. One of the sense. best examples I can give you of that actually um, recently is that we did this huge campaign with our, with all of our employee resource groups. So when we launched Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, our big animated movie, we wanted to get everyone really, you know, connected to this content. So we launched this campaign. Anyone can wear the mask. So basically anyone, you know, has the ability, everyone has their own superpower. Everyone has their ability to really make an impact. And we're like, okay, that's going to be our hashtag. Anyone can wear the mask or everyone wears the mask. And in the U S UK, it translated very well in Latin America. Culturally speaking, when you wear a mask, that's almost like a sign of shame. And as best of our intentions were, we had to take that into account. Like, okay, we love this campaign. We want to kind of do it out here in the States and, you know, we're applicable, but we had to give them the flexibility to, you know, they altered it like, you know, anyone can be a hero, like, but it wasn't the same messaging but we had to respect the fact that culturally speaking that messaging that we were trying to get across was actually you know it was not translatable mm -hmm. for that particular culture so it's this is these are the types of things that we want to make sure that we're so glad we included them at the very beginning to say hey this is what we're thinking about because you know god help us if we launched that and it became a huge problem yeah or, you know, our Latin American offices. So that's just one example. Yeah, no, that's a great example. And of course, that example that you just shared now, it translates into everything, whether it is a meeting by one of your employee groups, an announcement made at the organizational level, it translates into a lot of different things because we all use different memes right. uh, in, different, in different ways. So that makes sense. So clearly it's not easy to do this. So right. my question to you is, if it's not easy to do it. Why do you think it's so important to make sure that we make the attempt to create those types of partnerships and relationships that engage remote workers, workers from around the world, our team members from just different locations and so forth in these efforts together as much as possible in a way that they are sharing ideas and collaborating? Well, I, I will tell you, this is, this is my personal belief and something that, you know, I, I really base a lot of, a lot of our DNI initiatives on is the fact that, you know, inclusive leaders aren't just born. They're really, they're, they're created over time. And it's a, basically the, the true inclusive leaders, you know, have a routine. There is, you know, if, if you take from Aristotle that excellence is not a goal, but rather a habit, if you can take, you can apply that diversity and inclusion, that there are things you have to do as habit, as part of your ritual as being a leader. So when you're making a decision, being conscious of who is in the room, make, being conscious of the fact, have we looked at this from a global lens? Do I need to bring in someone else? And... It's hard, you're right, because it takes longer. We have a natural tendency. Speed is our friend. I think this is going to work. I'm not asking anybody. I'm hitting the go button. We're off. However, if you, and I strongly believe that the ERG program is, for us, it's a platform to develop the next generation of leaders. 
if I can get them into the habit of starting to think this way now, and then they just take those habits and as they elevate through the organization, they, they take those habits with them, then we're essentially creating, you know, the new generation of inclusive leaders from the ground up. They're taking those things, they're continuing to apply them. So as much as they're tired of me, or when they submit a proposal and they get some red marks back, hey, have you thought about this? Globally, is this applicable? But you can see over time for the year, like I'm making less and less corrections, I'm asking less and less questions because whether it's they're automatically thinking like that or they just saying, listen, I, need, I, I, I just need Paul to shut up. I don't wanna hear this question again. So I'm going, they're going to take it into account first and foremost, um, but we're trying to instill those habits in them early so they begin to see like this is why this is important and I'm, I'm rolling the dice and I mean I would state everything on the fact that if you if you get individuals early to start you know basically practicing these inclusive habits they will take it with them and they will eventually become inclusive executives. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. So let me ask you this, parting advice. Mm -hmm. If you're talking to organizations that maybe today are not doing what you're doing, they're not looking for ways to create those bridges between the different pockets of people they have, whether they're people that work in the same country, but they're just not in the same office or they're in a Mm -hmm. small office, so they're working from home, or they're part of an organization that has a footprint like yours, they're all around the world and they're currently operating only with the people they have in their nearby campus. What's your advice to them as a first step to start moving in the direction of creating that more connected, more global group dynamic that leads to that type of collaboration that we're talking about and also leads to these people becoming more effective future inclusive leaders? So the first thing that I would say is, you know, it's, it's an acknowledgement that this is hard. And I know that it's hard, Um, but I would advise, you know, companies just getting into this, you know, to not necessarily take what I'm saying as a blueprint, because this is what worked for Sony Pictures Entertainment. Every company is a little bit different, but if you can find opportunities um, just to take one small step, put, take a step like a a meeting or an, or let's just say there is a speaker series. What we started to do at the very early stages is, instead of bringing this person onto the lot, inviting a hundred people to hear him or her speak, can we do this via Microsoft Teams or via WebEx? So everyone sharing the same experience that it, it, it's remote. Give people an opportunity to have a couple of membership meetings where it's not in person, where it's using technology so that there's a uniformity of experience that everybody's calling in, nobody's physically seeing each other. So taking those small steps to just kind of say, hey, it's possible to do this and still have an impact. And then using that as traction, as like a nice footing to say, all right, this worked out kind of well. What other opportunities do we have? And then just customize it along, you know, along those lines. Like I'm a big believer that, you know, scale intelligently. Don't just go all in because like we have to be more global. So everything we do now has to be on a global level, it doesn't have to be. Just try to find you know, that one thing, get people acclimated to the fact that, hey, this, this may be a way that we can get more people involved 
at the same time, or if nothing else, create something or create, you know, a write up or an experience for those who weren't able to enjoy it in real time that they can still experience something after the fact and start there and just see where it takes you. So I know it's a very vague answer, but I mean, I honestly think every company is so different, but just find the one thing, just find one small thing, step in it and then make it your own and then allow it to grow from there. I think that's not too vague. I think that's great advice. And I think it is going to be different for each different company. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. I know my listeners will appreciate it. I think uh, you've opened up uh, a couple of avenues for future exploration for organizations that are looking to increase the collaboration between their teams and to include those people that often are not included because they're either physically not in the particular campus or they may be somewhere halfway around the world. So thanks again for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So let's stop and reflect on a few of the things we've learned from Paul. Clearly, driving an employee network within a global organization toward operating on a global stage is not easy, but it is important. Fortunately, most organizations already have the tools that employee network leaders can leverage to help them connect with the world. For example, tools that enable video conferencing, chatting, storing and sharing files. One big key is to encourage everyone to start thinking globally. For example, think about how a program in one location can be structured to benefit colleagues around the world. If you feel a particular program will not resonate the same way with a different culture, consider then creating a modified version that is culturally suited for your other members. As Paul noted, it is by doing this work now that we begin to inculcate the habits of inclusive leadership into the next generation of leaders. Coming up, our panel is going to talk about some of the things they've done to broaden the reach of their networks and give us a look at where they see us headed. All this and more when we return, but first, this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Frederick Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. Welcome back. Let's meet our panel. From Avenod in Alpharetta, Georgia, we have Erica Fletcher. Erica is Avenod's Global Inclusion and Diversity Group Manager. And from Atrium Health, In Charlotte, North Carolina, we have Dwight Roche. Dwight is Director of Business Operations. Thank you both for joining me today. Eric, I'm going to start with you. Tell me about yourself and your role relative to employee networks. Also, tell me a little bit about the scope of your organization, its footprint, and its structure. So I work for Avanad. We're a technology consulting company that focuses on Microsoft products and solutions. We were actually started as a joint venture between Microsoft and Accenture back in 2000, and we're headquartered out of Seattle. Um, We did approximately $2 billion in U.S. dollars in revenue last year, so it gives you an idea as to our, our, our scale. Um, interestingly, though, we just transitioned to a new CEO. Her name is Pam Maynard, and she's a wonderful leader, and it should be noted, also a woman of color, which is pretty unique in a technology company. Um, we have about 36,000 professionals across 24 countries around the world. Our vision is to be the leading digital innovator through the Microsoft ecosystem. 
and I am part of a small but mighty global inclusion and diversity team. We've got three people um, responsible for um, Avanade's inclusion and diversity. I was actually one of the founding team members when we first formed our formal inclusion and diversity function about seven years ago. And as such, I was part of laying out our initial foundation, and that included creating our employee resource group network structure. I've worked with each of our ERGs to build them from scratch and develop them into full-fledged, sustainable employee resource groups. And today, I still do work with them um, as a coach, as a liaison back to our inclusion diversity function and our strategy. Um, I think one of the really important things, though, to understand about Avanade is that most of our employees are consultants, and consultants work directly with our clients, and that means they typically are working with our clients on client sites, or they're working virtually. Um, everyone in our company, because we are a digital innovation company, everyone is fully equipped and um, expected to be able to work in this digital environment, which means that we've got a lot of flexibility. Um, we can work wherever we want to or need to work. And in fact, I've been a remote worker the entire time I work with Avanade, which is a little over 15 years now. And in fact, I worked virtually for the last four years. I was with Accenture before I came over to Avanade. Um, we've got the technology. We like to use it. And it's actually something that our employees cite as a reason they really love working for Avanade is because they've got that um, work-life balance that's facilitated by the technology. Um, we're not limited to the population around a particular office location, so that helps us expand our talent pools that we recruit from as well. Um, as long as an employee's got access to the internet and a smartphone and access to um, an airport in case they need to travel, you know, that works for us. We provide everything else that they need. So, um, you know, we do have larger offices, smaller offices, but we also have got a lot of remote workers. So a lot of experience with this topic. That's excellent. So I'm looking forward to hearing how you run these networks, especially with such a distributed workforce. So Dwight, I'm going to turn to you now. Same question. I am the director of business operations at Atrium Health Mercy. Um, Atrium Health is a not-for-profit healthcare system uh, headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, but we have over 900 care locations um, and 45 hospitals across North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, South Carolina, as well as Georgia. Um, our president and CEO is Eugene Woods, who's also uh, a man of color. Um, and he has a very bold and expansive vision uh, for care or atrium health. Uh, so we're very excited to have him on board. He's been now with the system for about three or four years um, and doing some very um, expansive things uh, for our system, most specifically. Um, with our name change or roughly about a year, year and a half ago, we were previously known as Carolina's Healthcare System, and we changed our name to Atrium Health, um, which definitely speaks to um, our national um, reach in terms of healthcare. Um, and uh, very excited about the work, um, and very, we have a very much engaged team. We have about 60,000 employees um, here at Atrium Health um, and continue to grow. Um, and we have our flagship hospital, which is uh, Carolina's Medical Center. Um, and then we have the facility I work at, which is HM Health Mercy, uh, which is a 196-bed facility. Um, and I'm responsible for much of the operations, including environmental services, uh, plant operations, security, uh, as well as food and nutrition services. Excellent. So, Dwight, are you a member of any particular ERG or BRG or, as you refer to them, system resource group? I am uh, one of the co-chairs of the Men's Diversity Leadership Network here at Atrium Health. 
Excellent. So Dwight, I'm going to stay with you for a minute. So given your large distributed staff footprint, I'm assuming that these networks have people that are in more than one campus, that they have people that are members that may be remote workers or maybe some other locations. How do you bring them together uh, as a network group? Well, that's always, you know, I'm pretty sure Eric will mention as well, it's always a challenge, not only in healthcare, but in industries across America. Um, and so one of the best ways that we can really bridge that gap is through innovation. Um, so the use of video conferencing really helps to make uh, the work that much more efficient and to accomplish more in a shorter period of time. So a lot of Skype meetings, uh, but a lot of times nothing beats kind of that face-to-face -face interaction. Um, and so when the opportunities do present itself, we love to kind of have uh, just face-to-face -face meetings. As well as the atrium, we really pride ourselves on having uh, department managers meetings where we meet on a monthly basis uh, for our frontline managers to discuss uh, pertinent issues that we can then cascade down to our team. Um, so that's really helpful to kind of get that message out when you have so many uh, employees. As well as we also hold quarterly forums at each facility um, to really help disseminate that information. So those are just some of the ways um, that atrium helps reach uh, our teammates, which we call them across our multiple facilities and care locations. Mm, got it. So it sounds like you use a combination of in intermittent meetings that are in person where you invite people and whoever can come that's close enough can, can come to that particular venue. But then you supplement those with electronic digital platforms that you use in order to maintain some kind of regularity of meetings. So in between those in-person meetings, you continue to meet and bring people together that way. Absolutely. And we also have um, opportunities where we'll take, uh, for example, certain meetings or forums and we'll have a, a link available on our website for teammates to access that. And then obviously with the social media age, we have a heavy presence on Instagram, Facebook, um, as well as Twitter. Um, and then we have a, a very expansive approach uh, with LinkedIn. So a lot of information about the different care locations, what's happening, uh, bright spots throughout our facility. And that's how we help get that information out, not only to uh, our teammates, but as well as the Charlotte community. Yep, that's great. Erica, in the first half of this podcast, my interview guest, Paul Martin, talked a lot about how he used Microsoft products in order to pull his different ERG groups together. And I am sure. That, uh, that you don't fall shy uh, when it comes to the usage of those types of tools. We'd love to hear from you how you leverage some of the tools that you have in your organization to also create that virtual environment where you can pull all these people together that are in different locations. Sure. Well, lots of tools are available. And each of our ERGs has got a little bit of a different personality as far as how they lead and use these tools. Um, but, you know, we use, of course, our intranet, our SharePoint sites to be able to share information, try to provide um, one place uh, reference for information about the ERG and what the ERG is doing. We've got Yammer. Um, you know, which is an internal social media site, uh, great for fostering conversations, discussions, doing polls um, within your membership and to get announcements out. Um, we also, of course, use conference call technology to do webinars, panel discussions that anyone can dial into, you know, wherever they are. Um, and then you can record those, you can share them across time zones, etc. So I think that's, that's a really important one. It may be considered low tech these days, 
days, but it's still powerful. Um, as you mentioned, we've got Microsoft Teams, which is a wonderful collaboration tool. Um, another one that's out there is Slack, um, and that's wonderful for uh, work groups to be able to come together, share agendas, uh, edit documents all at the same time. You can have multiple people in a document editing it at the same time, um, you know, to be able to record notes, conversations, their little wikis, all sorts of wonderful tools, collaboration tools are included in Microsoft Teams, and we are definitely heavy users of that. Um, and then there are other things, you know, that, are, that may be more common and comfortable, like newsletters. There's always your informal networks, um, you know, uh, and, and integrating activities into other standing structures that you may have, you know, if you are doing something in a local event, of course, you know, bulletin boards, right? There's nothing, nothing wrong with the low-tech solutions, right? But we definitely integrate those and blend them with all of these different tools that are now available. Um, and, and there are a lot of uh, conferencing tools that are free that are available out there, you know, using things like SurveyMonkey to do polls, um, lots of lots of different tools that are out there and you just have to find the combination that works for your audience and your leadership team but none of it is going to work if you don't have a plan and you're not intentional and organized about how you're going to get your messages out there and how you're going to reach all of the people you know no matter where they are so you, you definitely still got to have a plan technology won't fix it for you you still have to be organized and intentional yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So as I'm listening to you talk about this, and I was listening to Dwight before, it sounds like a lot of work in order to make this work. If it's so hard, why is it that you both feel it's so important to do it? Why is it so important to not just work with the group that you've got in front of you and have other groups that are somewhere else, maybe get together in twos or threes. Why is it important to you to bring them all together this way? What would you be missing if you didn't do this? Erica, I'm going to stick with you. Okay. Well, diversity of thought, different experiences, you know, different cultural influences, you know, even the differences between what someone in say the LGBT community in Seattle experiences, it can be quite different from what someone may experience in the Carolinas. Right. And then, of course, you look at Europe or Asia Pacific and their experiences are going to be quite different as well. And, and they have different needs in the workplace. So I think that while there are similarities within these different constituency groups, there are also differences. And that makes for a really richer employee resource group experience, in my opinion. Um, and I think, too, with the diversity of people that you've got in your ERG, you're also then going to have more innovation around how to approach the different challenges and opportunities that you have. Um, ERGs need diversity just like our companies do. It makes ERGs stronger and better for it. Um, I'm also going to say that um, employees who are remote workers have got the same need to connect with people who are like them just as much as the, those employees who are in your main office locations, um, and perhaps even more so because they are remote. And ERGs have a, it's a great way for remote workers to really get those connections that they need outside of their immediate work teams. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. As someone who worked remotely for a number of years and also traveled a lot, which kept me out of the office, I can certainly appreciate that need for connecting back to the other team members. Dwight, same question for you. Yeah, I would definitely echo um, a lot of the sentiments uh, that uh, Erica mentioned, particularly with diversity of thought, which I think is really important. Um, specifically with ERGs, I think it's really important for us to be representative of the community that, community that we serve. 
Um, and so when I look at the different ERGs, whether it's the Men's Diversity Leadership Network or uh, the Women's Empowerment Group or um, the LBGTQ community, I think it's very important that we tap into those um, ERGs and we have that trust, we have that uh, teamwork and collaboration. It really only helps us serve our patients that much better um, and understanding the different needs that they may have. Uh, particularly uh, in regards to the, the care that they're receiving at our facility. Yeah, that certainly makes a lot of sense. So what would you consider to be the big challenges that present themselves when you have a workforce that's distributed that way? What would you consider to be the top two? Dwight, let's stay with you. I would say the first thing was is just um, silos. Uh, when you're tending to be at different facilities, and sometimes it can span over uh, a couple of miles away, I think sometimes inherently in those cultures, you have silos. And so I think one of the biggest challenges is breaking down those silos and, and understanding that you have a, a, a healthcare system like Atrium Health um, that has a, a shared vision and a shared goal, a shared mission, and making sure that each facility um, is definitely aligning with that. And so I think, you know, breaking down those silos is, is, a, is a huge challenge. I think our senior leadership team has done a wonderful job of really helping to bridge that gap and to work through the white spaces, if you will. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a great thing to see um, from, from our level, being a, a frontline manager, um, how that information is then cascaded down to us and how we can spread that information out to our teammates. I'd say the other challenge is just, you know, Erica touched on it before, just the mediums of communication. And so you have different groups, whether it's physicians or nurses or environmental services, everyone absorbs information in a different way. Um, and so how we communicate sometimes can be very challenging because you don't quite know how people receive information. Again, we're in a, a very technical, technological era, so you have a lot of folks using social media, but then you also have a number of folks who don't use social media. So you can't stop uh, using some of the uh, regular formats of communication like uh, flyers and, and things of that nature to really get information out. So you can't just focus on one medium. You have to really embrace them all in order to make sure everybody is informed and equipped with uh, pertinent information. We talk about that as layering the communications. So you don't rely on just one layer to reach everyone in your audience. You, you are be better served by having multiple layers, you know, with the same message. Because you're right, especially with the different generations in our workforce today, they have different preferences as to how they like to receive information, um, you know, what's going to resonate for them. And if you just rely on one channel, you're going to miss out. Yeah, and I would imagine that that complexity is increased even more so when you have a footprint like yours, Erica, that spans across the globe, right? Because there are going to be other nuances on top of the nuances that you just described. Can you talk a little bit about those? Sure. Well, I think for global companies, there definitely are some additional challenges. There's the meetings across time zones, certainly. Um, it's always going to be inconvenient for someone, um, and that can reduce their participation. Um, so I really recommend that we hold uh, all hands calls you know, at different times because it's always going to be inconvenient for someone. And so if you rotate the times, um, to different times of the day or night, you know, you'll, um, it'll only be inconvenient for people uh, for a small fraction of the time, right? You'll be able to get most people. Um, and that way you can accommodate them. Um, but also for global companies, what's important to a group in one culture may not translate to another culture. Um, 
and I've got lots of examples of that. Um, you could have a global goal for your ERG, um, and then the lo your local chapters may focus on what makes sense for them locally, right? So um, plan globally, you know, act locally. Um, a great example is like Pride Month. Um, global Pride Month is in June, but Pride in Australia is celebrated in March. And in Atlanta, it's in October because it's too hot for us to have a parade in June in Atlanta. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so our PRISM, which is our LGBT ERG, you know, they have to plan for that. So when are they going to send messages out? Are they only going to limit it to June? What's going to resonate, you know, for their chapters in Australia or in the UK? Um, you know, people of color, being an African-American or a black person in the U.S. is quite a different experience from being black in the U.K. Um, and goals and the connections that the ERG plans for should really take into account both those similarities and those differences. So that's a really important thing, you know, to plan for as well. Um, another example are veterans. Um, it's an important population within North America, but it doesn't make sense in Japan, where it's illegal actually for you even to ask if someone has previous military service history. So, you know, you, you do have to um, think about how do you include people and plan for people to feel that they are included if they want to join, but also understand that um, your goals, your purpose, your mission may need to flex based upon cultural influences, you know, at the local level. And that's important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, Erica, if you think about it, what a great experience for the ERG leaders that have to tackle those types of challenges now as part of their development. Working with an ERG in a way that effectively resonates well across an audience that's in different countries and in different places is a great exercise for someone to start learning how to be an inclusive leader because you are facing some of those challenges of how things resonate differently with different people, how days that are special are held at different times for different people, how the memes that we think mean one thing mean another thing in another culture. <laughs> I mean, all of that stuff. And, and that certainly is probably a big eye-opener for people who have grown up and lived within, let's say, one or any of those cultures and not been exposed as much to the other ones. So that certainly is a value if you want to develop inclusive leaders. So Eric, I'm going to stay with you on this next question, which is about the trends in technology. I'd love to hear from you. Where do you see engagement of employees that are remote or even employees that are in different countries and so forth, working together in these ERGs? What are some of the upcoming things that you see that will make it easier to do that and, in fact, encourage more people to do it? Well, um, I, I mentioned before, I think we're really going to see an uptake in collaboration tools like Microsoft Teams and Slack. Um, social media is something that companies are still exploring and figuring out how they want to take advantage of those tools, both internally and externally. So you've got your Yammer tools, certainly Facebook and LinkedIn externally, so that ERGs can take advantage of those to generate discussions um, and share information about what they're doing inside the company, but also they can really take it to the marketplace and inspire 
potential customers and clients, potential candidates with what we're doing inside the company. And I think that's really important too, to find those ways for us to be able to share these stories. What are some of the things that we're achieving? What is our perspective on some of the things that are going on? Um, and so I think those social media tools are really um, coming to the forefront as a wonderful um, support tool for our ERGs, again, internally and externally facing. Um, I also see there are more apps that are coming out that can really meet people where they are and give them that mobile digital capability. And ERGs can use these to push messages out, deliver training topics. You can gamify education and share calendars. I mean, the possibilities really are endless. Um, and I think it comes down to being digital and being transparent. Those are really the trends that we're seeing in technology. Um, one of our ERGs is developing um, workflows and interactions with Forms, Planner, and SharePoint, some of those tools, um, and really using um, Microsoft Teams environment and our intranet site so that they can automate and streamline workflows that currently they're manu manually managing. So that frees up some of their time with the automation that they can focus on um, strategic planning and messaging um, and really makes the interaction amongst all of them, whether they're remote or co-located, it makes it a little bit more seamless and easy. So um, I really just love how they're able to curate, you know, local requests and ideas. They can provide more transparency to initiatives that are in the pipeline and status. Where are they in crafting a response, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The collaboration um, opportunity is really wonderful. It's, it's a really exciting time, and I just see it um, being more so in the future. That's great. Thank you. Dwight, what do you see happening in the future as we apply more technology to this challenge of bringing more and more people together who are distributed in different locations? Yes, definitely see um, the enhancement of video conferencing. I know I've kind of experienced it in the last five to 10 years, more of an emphasis on video conferencing uh, in, in order to uh, get done work done quicker as well as cost-effective. So again, it minimizes oftentimes uh, travel. And so I've seen a greater emphasis and it's become a lot more um, easier to, to, to hold a video conference, whether it be through Skype or uh, FaceTime or different things like that. I also see just the growth of social media. You know, I think every year we're seeing another social media platform. So we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter. Um, and each of those uh, platforms allows for uh, better use of communication a uh, better flow of communication. So I only see in the next five to 10 years um, additional platforms that, that will come uh, you know, to, to the forefront. And each of those platforms some, offers something definitely unique. And so I think Facebook is very specific versus Twitter and Instagram. And so I think that users for each of those um, really get to hone in on what, how they best receive communication. Um, and so I think you know, as through the next, say, 5, 10, 15 years, folks will start understanding a, a bit more of how they want to consume uh, information, and they'll start developing those platforms uh, to really make it conducive to, uh, to them, as well as folks who are, who are like-minded. Um, and so I would definitely say in the next 5 to 10 years, an expansion of social media, as well as expansion of, of video conferencing, to really make communication that much more efficient and cost-effective. 
Yeah, no, I agree. That makes sense. So Dwight, parting advice, what would you say to someone who hasn't dipped their toe yet into this water of pulling together people across different locations? What would you say to them in terms of where they should start to do this? I think to not think so high level, but really focus down to the common denominator. And so I always like to ask, you know, what problem are we trying to solve? And so I think with this, you're always wanting to make sure that you have that trust and that rapport and that collaboration. And so it, whether it's looking for a certain medium for communication, whether it's um, trying to understand different cultures or different diversity of thoughts or perspectives, it's really trying to focus on how are we building trust? How are we building rapport to accomplish our mission and drive our vision? And I think if folks stay really focused on that, the sky's the limit in terms of what they can accomplish and what they can achieve uh, within their respective organizations. Agreed. Thank you for that. And Erica, what about you? What's your parting advice in terms of what would you say to people who haven't dipped their toe into the water yet in terms of bringing together groups from different locations? What's the first step they can take? Well, I would say that incorporating remote employees into your ERG is totally doable. Um, it may not always feel comfortable, but um, it it is something that you should not leave to chance. You have to be intentional to make sure that your people are engaged and they're not limited just by physical location. Um, if you don't figure out how to incorporate them and include them in your ERG, um, your ERG and even your company is going to miss out on something really good. So I, I highly recommend you get get started, get started now. Um, there, you may stumble. There will be lessons learned, but it is worth the journey. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So that brings us to the end. I want to thank you, Erica, and I want to thank you, Dwight, for joining me today. I think that the discussion that we had will open up some thinking about what can be done to start taking advantage of these technologies that are really all around us in the different domains that we operate, that we can begin to utilize within our ERGs to start pulling together our teams, regardless of where they're located physically, whether it's in another building, whether it's in another state or in another country. And so again, my appreciation for that. Thanks for joining me today for this program. Thank you so much. So here's what I got out of this discussion. There are lots of tools out there that you can use right now to broaden the reach of your employee network nationally and even globally. There's also a lot of good reasons for broadening your reach, not the least of which is that it prepares the network leaders and members to operate as inclusive leaders and team members as their careers continue to progress in the organization. This is something that is increasingly important in our workplace as it continues to become more diverse and more global. And finally, we can expect more tools and more opportunities to connect our networks around the world as technology takes what has already become a small world and makes it even smaller. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.